Welcome to Maximize Your Social, actionable 10-minute advice on how your business can maximize your social media presence. Now, the host of Maximize Your Social, social media author, speaker, consultant, and founder of Maximize Social Business, Neil Schaefer. Hey, this is Neil Schaefer. This is Maximize Your Social. Welcome to my world of social media. Today, I'm at my home office here in Irvine, California. Been doing a lot of traveling lately, but for the next few weeks, have a lot of downtime, and I'm actually preparing for my next project. Really excited to announce that, hopefully over the next few weeks. But until then, I wanted today to get very personal on this podcast and share with you what I recently shared with LinkedIn. If we are friends on Facebook or if you follow me on Google+, you probably saw recently that I posted that I was invited by LinkedIn to blog as part of what they call a career curveball series. What are the curveballs that you've had in your career and how did you handle them? And when they asked me, I was obviously honored and, and definitely wanted to take advantage of the opportunity, but it also gave me a chance to really look back into my past, into my entire career, and analyze not the one curveball, but the many curveballs, and how it has affected the way that I look at social media and the way that I hope you look at social media as well. And even though this may not be directly on target as far as social media for business advice, I do believe, and you've probably heard it from many others, that those that are successful in social have a certain mindset, and this is what I teach as well. And I'm hoping that once you understand more about my world and my mindset, it's going to help you develop a much keener mindset for social media. So this blog post was already published on LinkedIn, already published on my own personal LinkedIn publishing page by the time you hear this. But just like many of you who have written back to me saying that you enjoyed my Audible audiobook for Maximize Your Social because I was the one reading it, I also wanted to do the same thing with this blog post and read it in my own words, in my own voice, and give you some background on things that might not be in that blog post. So here we go. The only constant in your career is change. Learn to embrace it. And I didn't talk about it in this post, but indeed, those of you that have read Maximize Your Social or see me speak know that I love to talk about social media as being an experiment and that you always need to be doing different things and changing things because it's always changing. I think a career is the exact same, but I learned to embrace it and I hope you do as well, and embrace change in social media. So because, you know, curveball and baseball, I begin with a really, really famous baseball quote by a gentleman named Rick Maxian. Funny thing is, I did a little digging for who this person was online. I really couldn't find it. So if you can tell me the history of Rick Maxian and in what context and when he said this, I'd really appreciate the feedback. But anyway, regardless, it's a really famous quote. Life will always throw you curves. Just keep fouling them off. The right pitch will come, but when it does, be prepared to run the bases. I often talk about one's career even in social media, when you are reaching out to people, engaging to people, blogging, publishing content, it's a marathon. And every time you do it, you may not see immediate feedback, but it's all part of 
if we were in a role-playing game of building up that experience meter to get to that next level. And I think life is like that as well. The more of that experience and all, all the varied experiences that we have, the better it prepares us to run the basis. So I begin, and you all know that I don't really talk about my children or, or my wife in social media, but I actually bring them into the story because, as you know, family is an integral part of everything we do. So looking at my young children, I have two children that are actually elementary school age, if you were curious, I realized that we also all grew up with dreams of what we wanted to accomplish in our future careers, whether it be becoming an astronaut, fighting fires, making cupcakes, or becoming a teacher. My daughter wants to be the next Gabby Douglas. My son wants to be the next Christian Ronaldo. Either way, we, we seemed like we were in control of our own destiny, right? And no one could hold us back, and we were going to create our own future. So when I entered the workforce, it was no different. I had the master plan. I was gonna start my career in Japan, where after learning Chinese in college, I was going to master five Asian languages by the time I was 30. For what purpose? Well, I thought it would be cool, <laughs> in all honesty. But that was sort of the path that I was on when I graduated from college, believe it or not. Mandarin Chinese I had learned in college. Japanese I was learning at the time and eventually mastered. Korean, I got as far as Korean. I did take three months of introductory lessons of Korean while living in Japan. Had a chance to do some business there. Unfortunately, outside of being able to take a taxi to the airport, say the food was delicious and how much is the meal, there wasn't much more Korean that I learned. But it's a beautiful language and wonderful people, and I hope I have a chance to learn it someday. And then Cantonese, because Cantonese just seemed like one of the hardest languages to learn. Very different than Mandarin Chinese. And then Thai, which once again was just another completely different language. So I only ended up studying two more out of Mandarin Chinese and mastering one more out of Mandarin Chinese. But the very reason my career began in Japan was from the first career curveball that I was thrown. And this is when I was still a college student, political unrest in China. Now, this is where I talk about the China retreat. I majored in Asian studies at Amherst College, which is a, a small liberal arts college in Massachusetts. And I had planned on starting my career in China. I was going to be one of those Americans who was going to go out there, become a pioneer, do amazing things out there for business. And I went there for my junior year abroad, right? I was in Beijing. And the problem is that when I was in Beijing, it was 1989. The Berlin Wall was collapsing and there were incredible student demonstrations and political unrest that resulted in what we call the Tiananmen demonstrations in the aftermath. And I could do a separate podcast about what I experienced during the Tiananmen demonstrations, which I won't for now. But needless to say that right after that, foreign companies really just pulled away from China, stayed away, really afraid to invest any more there. And my dream of sort of graduating a year later and working in China was gonna be very, very hard to accomplish. So when I came back from Beijing for my senior year, I realized I had to alter my course because I knew that finding a job in China would be nearly impossible. It's, it's rolling with the punches, right? It's fouling off some balls, knowing that when your time comes, you're gonna do something, but it's also creating your own career while this happens, while you get these curveballs of readjusting your batting stance, right? Fortunately, I had a Japanese roommate while in Beijing and befriended a number of Japanese foreign exchange students. 
It was also a time when the Japanese economy, if you remember 1989-1990, was peaking at its strength, and many American companies were trying to learn more about how Japanese companies were becoming successful in the global market. So this just goes to show, you know, when I was at Amherst College, the Japanese class had like five times more students than the Chinese class. And it's probably, you know, flipped around now in terms of numbers. But during our lifetimes, there are ebbs and flows in the strength of economies, industries, companies. You know, Google now is sort of like everyone wanted to work at America Online or Microsoft back in the day, right? Nothing is static. And I learned this fortunately at a very early age as a senior in college to accept the reality, to embrace a long-term approach, and subsequently plan to temporarily start my career in Japan, where after working there for two years, I was going to move on to China and achieve what I wanted to do there. Moving on to my next chapter of my life, which is called Accounting for a Job. I interviewed with the Japanese company that ended up hiring me during winter break in my senior year. The company's name is Rome Semiconductor, R-O-H-M, headquartered in Kyoto, Japan, which is really how I started this whole Japanese experience. Now, I wanted to start my career in sales and marketing. I loved business. I did some things during junior high school and high school that gave me a flavor of business. And I loved to meet people and I was very outward going. So that's where I wanted to be within a company. But I had one little problem was that Amherst College, being a liberal arts school, didn't really offer any business curriculum. As my father said, business is really about learning how to communicate with people and learning how to communicate your own ideas to other people from various cultural and historical backgrounds. And I think Amherst College did very well in preparing me for that. And you can imagine how that's really helped me in social media and, and really to speak internationally as well. But, you know, serendipitously, and there's always these serendipitous curveballs that come at us as well, for reasons still unknown, in my senior year, they did begin to offer a class in accounting. Now, I knew that having knowledge in the subject would help me in my business career. Even sales, it's about numbers. Marketing, you're crunching numbers. Accounting is sort of the basis of, of business, right? Little did I know that taking that class would determine what department I would start my career in. Because when I graduated from Amherst in 1990, Japan had become this global economic power and had started to establish both sales as well as manufacturing operations in foreign countries. This drove Japanese businesses to push for internationalizing, and I put that in quotes, internationalizing their companies internally. So it turned out that I was to become part of the internationalizing plans for Rome Semiconductor, my first employer. The man who turned out to be my first boss had just come back as director of finance for their American operations, which happened to be in Irvine, California, where I live as well. Amazing how things happen in life. But anyway, he had the needs to both internationalize his own department as well as keep better tabs on the accounting of their foreign subsidiaries. So just as with this retreat from China, this beginning of my career in, in finance and accounting, I learned to take a long-term look at my career and took the position in finance in the belief that it would be a temporary stepping stone and valuable education that would help me get to the place and the position that I wanted. So moving on to the next chapter, becoming the China sales pioneer. I had already created that roadmap for my career that would push me towards both sales and China. Despite the changes in my career that I'd accepted until then, I was still focused on reaching these goals as part of my long-term strategy. But how long can you 
or should you wait for these same changes to work in your favor? I created my own internal deadlines and I do this now. And when I talk with other people in social media, I tell them or, you know, small business owners, entrepreneurs, self-employed professionals like myself, make internal deadlines almost on a quarterly basis and try to stick to them. And in both cases, I dealt with more change that would eventually help lead me to my goal. So the very same day, and I sort of put myself out there in the job market in order to hit an internal deadline. If it wasn't going to happen at the company I was working at, I was forced to move elsewhere. But the very same day, and I'll never forget this, that I received an offer from a trading firm specializing in metals to pursue my career in China sales was also the very same day that an executive at the Rome Semiconductor had transferred back to Japanese headquarters to begin a new business development department, which I was going to become a member of. I was thrown two career curveballs in the same day, and just like the fork in the road, seeing that the business development department was going to be in charge of our future China strategy, I decided to make an investment in my current employer, similar to how they had made an investment in me. If you go through some of my LinkedIn recommendations, you'll find that one executive really wanted to hire me away from another company. And the fact that I did not join him actually made him feel even higher esteem for me because of the loyalty. I don't know what it is, but I have an emotional bond with people and things and companies that invest in me. I want to reciprocate that investment. And at the end of the day, I think we're all human. And I think a lot of us share that. And it's always greener on the other side, but I wanted to give this company another chance. So hopefully that better explains that mindset and maybe you're nodding and you have felt the same way or maybe you're in a similar position right now. So this new position led me closer to both doing business in China as I was part of the team which decided both where we would invest in China as well as actually negotiate with Chinese officials a joint venture partner to potentially build a jointly owned factory in Shanghai. Well, we ended up not doing the JV, although we ended up investing in a 100% owned factory in Dalian, China. But I also had the opportunity to work at our sales subsidiary in Singapore for six months and get to understand what are our foreign sales offices doing, what is the work they have, what are their challenges, and how as a company, we, as a Japanese company, we are engaging with our customers there. That was a great experience and the friends I made in Singapore, I still meet. I got to meet them last March when I was in Kuala Lumpur and uh, I hope to meet them again in the near future. But anyway, after returning from Singapore, my boss was put in charge of our overseas sales department. And once again, I was getting closer to realizing my goal despite all these constant changes in my job. But unfortunately, while I was getting closer to my career goals, I failed to hit the new deadline I had established for myself to start doing sales inside China. I decided that I had to be the instigator of change this time. And while last time I decided to stay with the company, this time I decided to resign from the company. Now things happen for all sorts of different reasons. We never know the master plan that we all have when we're born, but when the CEO found out, and this is, you know, $3 billion, 12,000 global employee company at the time, when he found out that I wanted to quit solely to be able to focus on China, he decided to make it a reality for me. If I was that passionate about China and I was so bent on generating success there that this CEO up until now, or the people working for him did not see, he was going to give me a chance. And to this day, I'm still very fortunate for that. 
So a few days before the day that was supposed to be my last day, I think it was literally, you know, four to five working days before that, my boss called me in, told me what was gonna happen. I was promoted to launch our China sales operations and at 27 years old, would become the youngest kakadicho or assistant manager in company history. It was quite an honor. And I was finally able to do what I wanted to do and this is really where my career excelled to a new level. In a few years after starting from scratch, I was generating business for more than 60 Chinese, Japanese, American, and European manufacturers. And while the sales continued to grow, the region had become our company's most profitable in terms of profit margin percentage. I had 15 people reporting to me across three sales offices and our team in Japan headquarters. I had achieved everything I wanted when I was faced with a new reality, and this new curveball came from my success. In order to elevate our sales to new levels, I realized that I would have to move to our Shanghai office and work there on a full-time basis. Now, hopefully you'll agree with me that sometimes we go through life so quick that we forget to take a break and smell the roses. The constant curveballs in my career combined with my long-term perspective and the short-term deadlines that I had, had brought me the success that I yearned for. But one day I realized that as a sales professional living in Japan, I had no track record of actually selling inside Japan. I had lived there for, what, eight, nine years, and yet, wow, I did not have that track record that I wanted and that I should have if I was going to be an international sales executive. It was at that point where I closed the chapter on my success in China. I did everything I wanted to do. I achieved what I wanted to do. I wanted to reach a new level. And in order to reach that new level, I firmly believe that I had to do that in Japan. So I focus now on the big picture of replicating my China success in Japan. Because if I can do it in two very, very different cultures, two very, very different business environments, I can do it anywhere in the world. So to do this, I would end up leaving my company and Although I gave the company a chance to offer me a job that would be satisfying, we agreed that it just did not exist. So ended up leaving on very, very friendly terms. I still keep in touch with a lot of people from that company. I'll be seeing some of them in July when I'm back in Japan. So there were a few job offers that actually came my way, and I don't really go into this in in the blog post, but this is really another fork in my career. I was actually offered a job at Procter & Gamble in product marketing. They had their Asian headquarters in Kobe, Japan, and I was actually interviewing also with Dell and FedEx to do enterprise sales there in Western Japan. But I ended up working with a small, well, I won't call them a startup because they were listed on the NASDAQ at the time, but they were one of these dot-com startups. Actually, I had been around for decades but they were involved in what we now, I think, call the Internet of Things. They provided the embedded operating system for that before we had something called Linux or Android. They provided something called VxWorks. A company called Wind River ended up getting bought out by Intel. Wind River had some success in Japan. They were looking to build out a Western Japan sales office in Osaka. I was looking for a job with foreign equity companies in Osaka, and I wanted to help them launch that and be successful at it. So I took that opportunity, made it successful. Shortly thereafter, I was offered the opportunity to establish an Asian sales operations for a startup out of Ottawa, Canada, a company called SBL, a challenge that I ended up taking and thriving at despite a near disaster in my first few weeks.
Well, what was that disaster? That disaster and the name of this next chapter of my career is called losing the big customer. Wow. Uh, you know, it's funny because this blog post ended up being more than 3000 words. And I had a conversation with someone on my Facebook wall who said, why don't you cut it up into two parts? And, and I, and I answered then as I'll answer you now, I, I really don't like to artificially splice and dice my stories. The stories have an intentional beginning and an intentional ending, but I did make a brand promise on this podcast that every podcast would be approximately, well, I began with eight minutes because I was recorded on an iPhone. And then when I moved to an Android, I said 10 minutes. So I do like to keep these short and sweet. I do believe they're more, more effective when they're a little bit shorter, understanding attention spans and just how busy we all are as, as professionals in our careers and our families. So I'm going to do something that I wouldn't do in the written form, but I'm going to do on the podcast, which is I'm going to take a pause here and I'm going to sign up for today and we're going to continue this story next week. Don't wait until next week to send me your feedback. I really enjoy hearing from you. It's what gives me the fuel to keep sharing content and to keep this podcast as well as everything else I do going. So looking forward to hearing from you. I hope this already provided you some insight. Next week, we're going to close off on part two and some specific takeaways for you. If you haven't read the post, if you haven't, you like it, I hope that you'll share with your friends. But for today, that's it, everybody. It's a wrap. I hope wherever you are in the world, you make it a social day. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Maximize Your Social. We appreciate your iTunes subscriptions, ratings, and comments. If you would like to appear on this show or recommend content, please contact Neil Schaefer at neil at maximizeyoursocial.com. Make it a social day. Thank you.